1942, during World War II, General Douglas MacArthur was ordered to leave the Philippines prior to the invasion of the Japanese Army. The general, members of his family and staff escaped by way of PT boats through stormy seas patrolled by Japanese warships. Upon leaving the islands, he spoke these famous words to the people, I will return. Two years later, as Supreme Commander of the Southwest Pacific for the Allies, he stood again on Philippine soil and said, this is the voice of freedom. People of the Philippines, I have returned. As James has showed us throughout his letter to the dispersed, Christians live in a state of emotional, physical, and spiritual warfare. What then is our hope? What is our hope in the midst of the suffering, persecution, trials, and tribulations of life? Our hope is this that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will return to establish his perfect kingdom. Biblical prophecy from both Old and New Testaments confirm for us this steadfast hope in Christ's return. General MacArthur was a trustworthy man who kept his promise to return to the people of the Philippines. How much more then is Jesus Christ God incarnate, able to keep his promise to return and put an end to the wars that wage within and without. Today, James gives us instruction and insight into what we should do while we wait. I invite you to pray with me as we ask God to open our minds and hearts to the reading of his word. Let us pray. God, our helper, by your Holy Spirit, open our minds and hearts that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may be led into your truth through Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear now today's scripture from James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Brothers and sisters, do not grumble against one another, so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Indeed, we call blessed those who showed endurance. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and you have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about, for the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. As we continue our study of the book of James, we will see that James continues his no-nonsense teaching to the believers in the early church. The very first thing we hear in today's reading is a call to be patient. 
using the ever so timeless image of a farmer waiting patiently for his precious crop to grow until it receives the early and late rains, James implies that the Lord's return will not be just any day now, but will occur when what is needed for his return has fully taken place. The crop can spring up fully only after the second rain. The problem with James's urging to be patient is that not many of us are farmers who willingly subject ourselves to timetables not of our own making, specifically the completely out of our control seasons and cycles of nature. Most of us do not have an inherent inclination to patience either. I have often found myself getting very impatient while waiting in the drive-thru at Starbucks, knowing the ice is melting in my drink because the person in front of me feels the need to tell the barista the, her whole life story or her entire schedule for the remainder of the day. Of course, there is a very important difference between waiting patiently for your Trenta green iced tea with extra, extra ice and the return of the Lord. In today's reading, James reminds the dispersed believers and us to have patience in suffering and trust in God's promise that Christ will return. The early Christians were suffering through persecution, poverty, and marginalization all for their faith and had scattered to different places throughout the Roman Empire. Patience was an appropriate stance only because the situation was truly beyond their control. Although it is hard to fathom the suffering the early believers endured, we know it was beyond compare. With that said, we don't have to look very hard to witness and experience sorrow, injustice, and persecution in our own time. Someone asked C.S. Lewis, why do the righteous suffer? Why not, he replied, they are the only ones who can take it. How is this so? I believe James knew when he wrote, be patient. You see, we must remember that those who are in Christ are distinguished from non-believers and that we have been gifted with the Holy Spirit, enabling us to bear fruit through his power in us. Patience is one of those fruits. When Christ returns, he will issue justice on those who have persecuted his people. But patiently waiting on the Lord also has a here and now implementation. God has a way of working out his purposes and plans on an everyday scale, just as he will work out his grand plan on a cosmic scale. When we are patient in negative circumstances, we are deliberately allowing God to handle the situation in his own way and in his own time. Next, James prescribes a second spiritual exercise while we wait upon the Lord's return when he writes, Strengthen your hearts. 
heart strength is essential in our time of waiting so that we do not give way to our difficulties. We need to orient our hearts to the spiritual strength of the blessed hope. We need to develop a consistency that comes from a confirmation of the word of God, and we need to make decisions with the finality of belief about where our true hope lies. The letter of James was addressed to communities who sadly, like ours at times, gave little heed to the values of the Christian tradition or to the good news of Jesus Christ. Joanna Adams from Feasting on the Word says, if having a strong heart spiritually is in any way comparable to having a healthy cardiovascular system in one's physical body, then exercise must be a part of it. You cannot stand against the forces of evil, indifference, or oppression with flaccid faith, puny hope, or on-again, off-again love. While we wait, James tells us to avoid grumbling with one another. When families or communities suffer hardships, they often internalize their aggression and turn on each other. I'm sure this has happened to many of us at one time or another. And when it has, we probably vented our frustrations on those around us. This may seem like an oddly placed exhortation, but James knew that survival over the long haul required patience, not only with the Lord who will return in God's own time, but with each other, lest we destroy the community that holds us up during the waiting. James goes on to tell us the most important reason not to grumble is that we will be judged. As a matter of fact, he tells us that the judge is at the doors. Lenya Heitzig tells the story of when her and her sister were sent to bed one evening. After much sisterly shenanigans, their father called from the living room. You kids be quiet and go to sleep now. But Lenya and her sister just couldn't keep silent. We've all been there. The more they tried to stifle their giggles, the more those giggles turned into all-out belly laughs. That's when their dad sneaked down the hall and silently stood outside their room. As they were quietly whispering, he placed his ear against the door, eavesdropping on them. After a few minutes of whispers and giggles, he burst into the room with a shout that scared them both half to death. Looking back, Lenya said that if they had known that their dad was standing at the door, they would have done what he said. When God the Father is at our door, what does he hear? Next, James advises us to look to the prophets as role models in suffering and patience. He is not suggesting suffering for the sake of suffering, but suffering as the often inevitable consequences of being faithful to God in an alien or indifferent environment. In other words, James is saying, if the prophets had to pay through suffering, 
then let the same be so with us. The Nicene Council was an important church meeting that took place in 325 AD. This is where the original Nicene Creed from our Book of Confessions was adopted. Of the 318 delegates attending, fewer than 12 had not lost an eye or lost a hand or did not limp on a leg lamed by torture for their Christian faith. In our time, or at least in our country, we Christians are not likely to be tortured or even imprisoned for our faith. But we live as much under the imperative of faithfulness as did our courageous ancestors, whom we know from scripture, history, and in many instances, stories passed down through our own families. Like those who came before us, it is in faithfulness, patience, and endurance in our suffering that James tells us we will receive blessing. James already affirmed this truth in chapter 1, verse 12, where he wrote, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. In today's scripture, he reminds us of this promise when he writes, You have heard of the endurance of Job, and you have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. So, do you remember the exact details of the outcome that the Lord brought about? I'll be honest with you, I remember that Job, um, everything turned out well for Job in the end, but... I had to go look up what the exact details were. So from Job 42, 12 through 17, the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, a thousand yoke of oxen and a thousand donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He named the first Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapuk. In all the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father gave them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and his children's children four generations. And Job died old and full of days. James wants his readers to know that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Everyone thinks they would rather have sunshine than showers. I know that that's what Rob would rather have, especially if he is hiking. But what would the earth look like if it never reigned again. Franklin Elmer Jr. found the answer in northern Chile. He described the desolate region where rain never falls, lodged between the Andes Mountains and the Pacific Ocean. He wrote, morning after morning, the sun rises brilliantly over the tall mountains to the east. Each noon, it shines brightly down from overhead. 
evening brings a picturesque sunset. Although storms are often seen raging in the mountains, high in the mountains, and heavy fog banks are observed far out over the sea, the sun continues to shine on this favored and protected strip of land. It is a sterile and desolate desert. There are no streams of water and nothing grows there. When storm clouds darken our path, we long for sunshine and joy. We plead with God to bring a halt to the downpour of suffering. A wise Arabian proverb says, all sunshine makes the desert. Deserts like this sunny part of Chile are infertile and desolate places. So too, life without trials leads to life void of depth, beauty, and character. God knows we need both sunshine and showers to make us fruitful. The prophets realized that the blessings found in suffering far outweighed their temporal pain. While we wait for Christ's return to put an end to all suffering and restore his perfect kingdom, we too must embrace the Holy Spirit's gift of patience in our suffering and recognize that in God's wise design and under his sovereign control, times of sorrow actually bring showers of blessing. Amen.